AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Oh. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Yo. They want to call us agitators like we always in a static. They will label you a thug, felon, or you just an addict. But I think they got it backwards, talking marches with the ratchets. But I'm saying Black Panther's not the Marvel Cinematic. Chairman about to speak. If we have a choice, we'll go. Stay on your clock. Gotta watch the coin tell pro. Can't depend on them so we can have a voice. Hell no. Gotta take it. Those who need the help the most get mo. So... We can't wait for shit, the streets gotta make a shift Less organized, we can all watch the racist pigs Hoard our supplies, build dope spots and play for kids Class solidarity is right round the way you dig Try to be pacifist like Buddhism would do Black Messiah, so I don't need no Judas in my crew If the man had a chance, they would shoot us in the room That's why I'm cooking to feed like every student in the room I'm Teaching every student right on Zoom <laughs> Hey, what's going on? My name's Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. We are waiting on reparations. Hurry up. Hurry up indeed. It is a late night. How are you doing? You have been in that meeting for like five hours this time. Yeah, five and a half, five p.m. until I guess it's like 1045 we got out. Um, What was going on today? Um, so we just had an agenda setting sessions. We're deciding the, the topics to vote on at our next meeting. And we voted on a couple things today. We passed a resolution in support of repeal of senior ground laws and had a moment of silence for Trayvon Martin, Jordan Davis, and Ahmaud Arbery, as well as other victims of um, senior ground laws um, in our state and across the South. Um, and then we also passed, uh, I think we spoke, spoken previously about the Leonardtown resolution, mm-hmm. um, 
kind of like apologizing and off offering a form of reparations to folks displaced by urban renewal. And so that was interesting. I mean, we put like a year or so of work into getting that passed. And one of the commissioners, one of my fellow commissioners that previously um, stonewalled it, actually apologized for failing to condemn white supremacy previously and for his role in stalling this legislation getting passed. I was like, okay, I see you. Send him a little what? couple clapping emojis. I was like, hi, right, bro. What ended up changing his mind? I mean, he recognized that, like, th- like this coordinated act of forcible removal from the, the you know the homes these black families lived in was an act of white ter- of, of, of terrorism mm-hmm. and white supremacy. Like he, you know, upon his studying the historical documents and seeing what those people had gone through, the intimidation they suffered, the coercion, the you know, it like. And and some of the language that like legislators were using to talk about people who lived there, you know, like they were white supremacists, and he's sort yeah. of feeling where this was white supremacy, which like you know, an, th- there's an argument to be made of like, oh well, you want to bring people to the table to like you know do this work together. Do you really want to go around calling people white supremacists? That's not bit bridge building, but I mean, ultimately, I feel like you gotta call call it what it is. Yeah. In order to heal, you can't heal. You can't heal a, a cancer. You can't cure cancer if you go around calling it appendicitis. Yeah, and also don't. That it's cancer in order to do the right treatment to fix the cancer. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if you're misdiag, if you're not even diagnosing what the problem is, then how are you yeah, supposed to like? I'm like, oh yeah, I think he stubbed his toe. Like, no, this nigga got cancer, yo. <laughs> Doctor, please put on the chart that this man has cancer. So. Well, damn. So, I mean, so what's the... Because it seems like that's been kind of something that... A little project that's been going on for a minute now. So, what's the... I don't know, like, when's when's it actually going to start going into all these votes and stuff? Is it actually starting to go into... So, yeah, I mean, we passed a resolution tonight. And so it's, like, sets into motion yeah. all this additional work. So okay. at the site where... We've already started this, but, like... To, you know, the resolution, like, affirmed we're working on it. Like, we're going to put, like, a wall of recognition where it's going to be, like, historical markers indicating the neighborhood used to be here and, like, maybe some kind of, like, mural of, like, what the neighborhood used to look like with the kids running around and cute stuff, you know. Yeah. Actually where the neighborhood used to be. Um, and then this committee that I'm on with all these people who got, you know, kicked out of their homes as children in this place so that the university could build uh, dormitories... Um, they get to make recommendations to the budget, to the county for what we should spend money on in our budget every year ongoing. So, so some of the immediate work to do, like we approve a budget in like May. So we're probably going to keep meeting. And so we can't, the thing about it was like, we couldn't give them the money for like, yo, if your house, which was worth $2,000 in 1966, was, was still there today, it would be worth like, Four hundred thousand dollars. Like we can't give that person that three hundred and eighty thousand dollars back that he's taken from the family. But we said we said instead, y'all can tell us what to spend money on at the city, Uh, right? And so we'll probably start that work soon. So like, there's like stuff to do still. Like it's not over, but it's like it's a beginning. It's a it's a it's like this thing finally got you know born. Long gestation period. I kind of already know the answer to this question, but like, it has to be. Does it, do you get frustrated at the fact that it's like 
you can do like so much work on the particular thing, but it doesn't. It's like there's there's no process for it where it's like, okay, we put this work in and now it's about to happen. You like it. You always have to constantly go through the the motions of how things have to work. Does it get frustrating? Yeah, the most soul crushing thing about being an elected official, having been and identifying still as an activist, is like adjusting to the pace of government. It took us mm. a fucking year to like all agree on that what we did was bad. Yeah. And like we owe them some stuff. And we didn't even we're not even giving them the stuff they asked for. We're giving them some other stuff. Like this so has been a th- year and we didn't even get really what we wanted. Because this has been a thing that you've been deal that you've been talking about since before COVID. Oh yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Like February of last year. It, that that was like that February of last year when we first started talking about this resolution was six months or maybe even a year after we started writing the original resolution. So we've been doing this for two years. Damn. Just to get like a wall saying this neighborhood used to be there. These people get to give input on the budget and like a couple other little things. Damn, yeah. Yeah, and so like in in elected life, you sometimes wonder if you're like losing yourself when you come to accept the pace. When it's like, this is just how it works. I have come to accept that it takes a year to get something so small like that. I'm like, but should I accept it? Or should I just like fucking go into these meetings and just punch everybody in the face and be like, nah, nigga, like we ain't doing it like that no more. We get this (laughs) done today. Fuck your six months. Like we need to get this shit done today. Yeah. You know? And so it just is a constant struggle. Like, Damn, I want I want to be like, well, what can what can you do to change that? But I don't want you to like give away your strategies. <laughs> you got to elect more good people. Yeah. Because when you're trying to get consensus among ten motherfuckers that all believe different shit and care to various different degrees or know what the fuck is going on to various degrees, some of whom not at all know what's happening. Like, it's like uh, I don't know. It's like um, it's I feel like it's uh. It reminds me of like Home Alone when they're trying to get to the airport and there's like 20 fucking kids trying to get yeah. off of the van. You're trying to count them and like everybody here. And then like, you know, it's just clown car just trying to pile people in to get us to this very simple destination. And but if not, like, not everybody like, and if not everybody's in the car, then like the whole the trip is fucked up. The still drinking Pepsi bad <laughs> upstairs. Like, not yeah, we're not on the same page at all. Were you watching Home Alone recently? Or I don't know why that is. But like, <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Well, well shit. All right. Well, let's um, <laughs> let's transition. Let's transition. Into- what I did also of note recently is I watched Judas and the Black Messiah this weekend. Well, you know what? I haven't watched Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm not going to tell you shit about it. Other than gonna, some one thing. I'm going to say gonna, one thing. Funny that we're doing the episode that we're doing, and I haven't seen the movie yet. But there's going to be not necessarily a reason, but there's an explanation for it. So we talked last week about the situation with the rapper No Name and the request of, of her to be on the soundtrack for this new movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a... I don't want to say it's an autobiography, but it's like a. What would you? What t- genre would you describe it as? I mean, the like, it's, it it gives me a memoir like feel. Like an autobiography uh, feels comprehensive of like he was born and then yeah. he went to fifth grade. This but I is mean, like, like snapshot, really. But I mean, like um, genre. Like, would you say it's a thriller? I mean, it's a yeah, like. Okay, so so so, so yeah. it's more it's more along the lines of being a biopic, but it's not like a. Like an informant drama or like a thriller, or, or... Drama, yeah, because that's a heavy okay. element in it. It's like the 
tension the informant feels about what he's doing yeah. and like, you know he's starting to i don't want to give too much away yeah, but like, yeah. you know he kind of like feels the draw of the black panthers and like oh is what i'm doing wrong yeah what are you doing wrong nigga? Like, <laughs> so last friday um this new movie judas and the black messiah was released to streaming and the film follows FBI informant William O'Neill as he infiltrated the Chicago chapter of the Black Panthers Party and set an event the, you know, everything that would eventually lead to the assassination of the famed revolutionary Fred Hampton. Now, um, would you say it's a good movie? Like, if you had to give it a letter grade, just just for the movie that you saw on the screen, what Look, would be your letter grade? I'm not a cinema person. Okay. I do not feel qualified to give a rating. Oh, you it's a person it's personal though. You're not giving you're not giving it's like some I, mean, like, I know you. I've talked to you about movies before. You're like, I'll give it a B minus <laughs> like a, I'll give it a ninety two point six. Barely barely an A grade. I am I'm, I'm solely asking on the Mariah so Park I'm on like, the on the lingua so Franca scale. Like, you know. So um I think it was a good movie. Yeah, I think it was a good movie. Okay. You think it was good? All right, and so I, I mean, movie, I mean, like as a leftist, I think yeah. it was a good film for leftism. In that, like, I heard, you know, because in our conversation about No Name and her qualms with the film uh, last week, you know, she was concerned. I believe that like his politics weren't comprehensively represented in the film. Yeah, she, she like, didn't think it was enough like, about him. You know, like I would agree that the left needs to get better at like producing like compelling media to like draw people to our ideas and educate folks but like the left needs to do that hollywood is not the left mm. hollywood is a capitalist institution or like industrial complex yeah and so all we need them to do is to like introduce them to like very briefly and stuff like and not fuck it up super bad yeah and i felt like from the jump like and this isn't a spoiler because like it's like per, like in the first 20 minutes of the film like it's very explicit that like Fred Hampton is this fucking socialist. And, like, he talks about socialism. They're all talking about socialism. And, sure, they don't get into it a ton in the rest of the film. Like, they're not going into theory and shit. Yeah, they don't get into theory. They're not, like, talking about, well, on page 76 and, like, now. <laughs> like, they're not. No. Because no, no one wants to fucking watch that. Because that's not an entertaining movie. No, we're trying yeah. to get people. We're trying to give them a taste. And so people, you're watching the movie. You're seeing Fred Hampton being a badass. And there's, like, gunfights. And they're doing all this cool shit. And so if that's all it takes, it was enough of a teaser for somebody who doesn't give a shit about politics to, to go look it up. Fred Hampton afterwards and then go and see like, huh, who is this like, you know? Yeah. And that's that's that's, that's character. You know, like whatever. Like, yeah, whatever. no, I feel you. Know, you. Like, that's that's kind of what I was on. All I want is just to open the door for people who see it and just are curious about more to go learn more. I don't expect film from Hollywood to teach, actually teach people stuff. So oh, yeah. the, mo the movie came out and it's been getting, you know, good reviews. People seem to like it. Um, besides for the slight controversy with the no-name thing and the soundtrack and that particular criticism of it, I haven't really seen too many um, complaints with the film. Now, one thing that I have, you know, discovered, because, you know, we, we talked about it and then a little bit after we're like, hey, let's let's do an episode where we're talking about Fred Hampton. And it's like just from a basic, you know, if you do a, if somebody like you just said, if someone wants to look up Fred Hampton after seeing the movie, pretty much, you know, just a basic search. You're going to come a, a, 
into a lot of stuff about how he died and the circumstances in which he died. You know what I'm saying? Um, Cointelpro, uh, rogue FBI agents and an informant struggling with what he's doing, like all that sort of stuff makes for like an intriguing story, whether it's, you know, an article or a think piece being written about it or whether it's a movie. So like most of the stuff that you're going to find about it is going to be, especially now, is going to be about the assassination of Fred Hampton. You know, like what what led to what were the things that led to him being killed? And there's not too many just flat out. Hey, this is who Fred Hampton was, and this is what he was about. You know what I'm saying? Without bringing in the the, the aspects of his death. So I wanted to we wanted to use this episode to talk about Fred Hampton, his politics, and what lessons can be learned from his revolution before he was prematurely prematurely taken away for by the pigs. Yeah. One last thing I want to say on the film itself before we move on to talk about the man. And I think like this point comes up on what we're going to say about the man. But just like if you haven't seen the film yet, go into this, go into it with this in mind. They cast 30 year old niggas to play like, like, like Keith Stanfield. His mm-hmm. character is 17 years old in the in the real in real life, and they got this like 30 year old nigga playing the 17 year old child. Fred Hampton, what was he like? 19? 20, yeah. He's 20, and they got fucking Daniel Kaluuya. I hope that's not his last name. I don't think so. Oh shit! But... Let, okay, hold on. Let me look at his last name. I can't just be like call the nigga Kaluuya and just like. <laughs> Kaluuya pronunciation. Kaluuya, I was close. Okay. Danielle Kaluuya. Fuck. Kaluuya. Kaluuya. She, said, thing, she called so that nigga Kaluuya. Kaluuya. He is 31 years old playing okay, a 20-year-old per- child. Well, that that could that's a Hollywood thing too, though. I mean... But it's a Hollywood thing that does happen, but imagine if they had cast actual children to play these actual children. Like, well, I feel like the gravity of what they were ensconced in would, like, actually sort of thinking like oh shit you're you're right but you know i think you're both right and wrong because i think you're right on while that would have been a better for my just i'm putting on my movie nerd shit that would have been a better like better aesthetically and it would have looked better because it would have been more realistic to the you know what they were portraying but from a technical aspect you're doing something like this you want motherfuckers that know how to act. You know what I'm saying? And this is not shitting on a younger actor and stuff like that, but the people who are in this movie are fucking That's true. veteran actors who you can, you, if you're a director and they do producer, a great job. And they, exactly. you know, you're right. They do a great job. If you're a director or actor, you don't have to be afraid to put a camera on Daniel Kaluuya for five minutes and have him just look, you know, express some emotion and stuff like that. But I mean, just, and this is all, you know, again, with all due respect, if you're dealing with a 17-year-old actor, you probably have to search a lot Finesse harder to find bit, that, yeah. that actor who can do that, who's that young, you know? So I, I, I'll give him a break on that. I'm, but I'm like a, I'm, I'm an older cat, so I've been seeing high school students played by 40-year-old motherfuckers since I was a kid and shit. So it's all, it's all good with me. I, I get why they did that. But um, yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna get into that and a little bit more. We're also gonna do for the music discussion is we are going to do a quick little mini review of the soundtrack that kind of brought all of this to our attention. Anyway, it's a star-studded 
hip-hop extravaganza soundtrack that they made for this uh, movie. So we're going to go into it and listen to some select cuts and kind of give our overall thoughts on how this works, A, as a rap album, but B, also as a soundtrack that is advertising itself as being inspired by the film that I see on the screen. So that's where I'm going to be judging the soundtrack from. But we'll be into all that and more after the jump. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Okay, August 30th, 1948 is the year Fred Hampton was born in what is now Summit, Illinois. His parents were transplants from Louisiana, some of the six million or so uh, rural southern United States dwellers of African descent that Um, moved north um, to the northeast, midwest, and west in order to escape poor economic conditions and the hellish racism under Jim Crow states in the south. Um, in between the years of 1960 and 1970. So right there, smack dab in the middle, Fred Hampton's parents have moved up to Illinois. He gets born in 1948. And from a young age, it was noticed that Fred was a pretty gifted student and athlete. He even wanted to, like, pitch for the Yankees one day or play for the Yankees, at least. I don't know what position he played. But um, his future activism also shined really early on, too. Uh, perhaps a precursor to the Black Panthers' free breakfast programs that we're going to touch on a little bit uh, later. When he was 10 years old, he would host weekend breakfasts for the neighborhood kids, and he would go so far as to even cook all of the meals himself. 
What do you think so, about that? So cute. I mean, I'm gonna have a lot to say, I think, about mutual aid and its role in like shaping communities and like pushing for transformation in communities as a part of this, because I think it's a huge lesson for the Black Panthers. Um, but I think in particular, like, is interesting to me, just like the way the Great Migration shaped like Black liberation movement stuff is something I just like would love to l- learn more about and delve more into as somebody that's like, my family didn't really leave the South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't really go nowhere down here. Someone was making the point that there should be another Great Migration. You're saying that Black people should migrate back to the South? I mean, 55% of African Americans live in the South. The South already, exactly. As is. South. Yeah. <laughs> um, wouldn't it be funny, though? I've, I saw this, like, stupid fucking meme on Twitter or something that was like, you know, like, if we, if, like, all the, you know, tech bros working on their MacBooks at a, you know, Williamsburg coffee shop move to Montana or Nebraska or Wyoming or wherever, you know, 800,000, 500,000 people, uh, we could, like, flip these sentences. I've, I've definitely heard a few right-wing talking heads, like, make reference to that. Losing their shit about, man, why are all these people from California moving to Texas? This is, like, I don't like this shit, man. What's going on? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, you know, you get 500,000 black people to move to Wyoming to have, like, a self-sustaining, I don't know, commune, some shit. And also, you know, and also elect a new senator. I don't know who the senator is. Wyoming are. Uh, no, I do not advocate for a great migration of any kind. Black people <laughs> own the South, built the South. This is our land. Everyone should come back. <laughs> Everyone should come back to the South. Let's really take this shit over. Let's reclaim Atlanta. <laughs> okay, so back back to Freddie. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so you know this is this activist part of him was being noticed at you know a very young age and this development of organizing in the community and you know starting these free breakfast programs where he would cook for neighborhood kids this development would carry on into his teen years whereas a high schooler he would lead lockouts uh, to protest blacks being left out of the homecoming runnings and he fought to get more black teachers and administration hired by the faculty he ended up graduating with honors and varsity letters as well as a junior achievement award in 1966. Now, the amazing thing about that, saying that to me, and it's also like when you consider the movie, so it's like Fred Hampton died in 1969, right? And this here I am just telling from- you that he graduated high school in 1966. So this means that all of the, not all, but it means a good chunk of the impact and legacy that this dude left on the world was between the fucking three years that he graduated high school and died. This nigga went from, hey, yo, why ain't there no motherfucking black homecoming queens <laughs> getting murdered by the FBI? FBI. Three years later, wild, wild. But then he enrolled, so after graduating from high school, he had enrolled in Triton Junior Community College, where he majored in pre-law, started to gather ammunition, wink, wink, in the form of legal knowledge to use as a defense against the police. He would later on go on to use this like uh, when they would do, uh, they had like a watch the police program that he set up where they would actually follow the cops and monitor them like as they patrolled the neighborhoods and stuff like that. So whenever the cops would try to fuck with them, you know, everyone who he would be with would look to him because he would know how to talk to the cops because he has like all that legal knowledge and shit like that so they couldn't mess with them like that. 
Um, it was around 1966, after he turned 18, that uh, some of his political identity started to crystallize. Uh, he formed a solidarity with the Third World Socialism Movement. That was a philosophy that's made up of African, Arab, Latin, Buddhist, Islamic versions of socialism, with the worldview that socialism was the answer to establishing a strong and developed nation. Uh, this was all in the as the Vietnam War was really starting to ratchet up in violence, and Fred began to read the work of Che Guevara, uh, Ho Chi Minh, Mao Zedong, and other communist revolutionaries. After getting involved with and quickly moving up the ranks into the leadership of the NAACP, Fred used his natural abilities as a community organizer to activate a youth group 500 members deep to fight mm. for more and better recreational facilities and improved educational resources in their community. So how's the boy doing so far out of high school? <laughs> We're doing okay out of high school, yeah. I mean, I feel like it is rare, at least in my personal experience as an organizer, as well as just like thinking about great figures of, of contemporary times that are like leading like uh, modern day social movements that synthesize this 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 theoretical um, grounding in like the you know writings and readings of uh, the writings and readings the fucking words and books of of like uh, the of, of revolutionary thinkers with actual action in the community I feel like you see particularly you know now more than ever like a lot of like folks that like read theory and then like yeah. just shit on other people for not knowing about it i mean yeah. i'm a person that like i don't fucking read theory i've never read uh shit at yeah. all um but like you know operate from a from a grounding of just like deep compassion and like just care and <laughs> like, well, I, the community and like a I sense think of you're I think your natural quality and like I believe things going to be better. I don't know. I think and your so, natural interest, though, in like the subject matter, it makes I don't know. It makes it more like somebody like me to get into it would have to read theory. You know what I'm saying? Because I think that like for someone like you who's like very hands on and like in the ground level of it, that I think you can better form an understanding of what these concepts are because. It's like you know how they're how they would actually apply in real life mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Whereas someone who is more like like you, you remember we had a discussion uh, early on in the show when I was we were trying to determine whether or not I was a socialist or not, <laughs> and it was like that I sort of thing. It's like, it's it's exactly. It's like mystery. it's like I feel like I feel like yeah, but then yeah. it's like man, I don't know enough about it to claim that shit because I don't want you know what I mean, and, and not not. From my perspective, it's like I don't want to like claim some stuff and then have people like, man, you posing, man, you ain't with this shit. Yo, Do you believe that. in the it's fuck that straight up. That's why I don't read theory. I don't want to become one of those assholes that's like, man, <laughs> debate me, bro. Debate me, bro, and the tears stream down the face <laughs> into the beard, into the neck beard. Um. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and like in here we see that well before he got this like theoretical grounding in, you know, tenets of third world, you know, like internationalist socialist movement. Um, he was already feeding people. And that's the thing. If you have like a penchant, if you just want to go feed people in your community and you don't know why, you don't have like, nobody told like some old dead, like communist guy didn't tell you to do it. You're just like, I think, you know, I should. People need food. Weekend breakfast for neighborhood kids. Let's do that. Like that is more revolutionary to me than like 
I don't know, reading a bunch and then not doing shit. So, reading a bunch and starting a YouTube show. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess I say that to say that I ultimately, in my own work, find that the grounding and community engagement, then like inflected with understanding of theory, is like an important orientation to have among our leadership. Mm-hmm. So a sense of like, I'm out here doing good. And then later I read a book about like the best way to do good. And so I'm going to combine my real world knowledge with like what the old dead guy in the book said. Like that is, that's that sweet spot that made people, that made someone like Fred Hampton. So like transformative in their community and in our, you know, history. And now, in the, celebration movements. the thing that the sense that I couldn't quite get from reading about it and I wonder if this was you can maybe tell me if this was captured in the movie is um it was a thing that he was so young right like I mean it nah, wasn't I feel like not I, mean, I feel like in the movie like the, the, he was just some he was just a person so, so, revered, no, I just, revered I just in mean, a way that made it seem like he was older Okay, so I so, so I mean like so I wonder if like the people around him because you know because I would imagine there were a lot of radicalized, activated young people back then. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Pro- probably more so than now. Would you, would you think or now is that? Yeah, would that for be sure. It? Well, okay. One thing that I'm wondering as we have this conversation is like, what sorts of pipelines to what kind of leadership are we building in like our communities for for young people today? Like, I don't know why, like, sure, there's not a, there there weren't a ton of Fred Hamptons then either. That's why there's mm-hmm. one Fred Hampton that stands yeah. out to us yeah. in history. But like, we don't have zero? We ain't got none in Fred Hamptons? <laughs> we ain't got a single one? Like, I in Athens County? Like, you know, so what are we channeling people with this organic, like, leadership potential and, like, desire and drive to help their community? Like, what are we funneling them into that there's like, a lot of things anymore like are things we- working against you though in that sense because i mean i just think like all of society i think american society for like at least the last 30 years has kind of been designed to pacify people you know what i'm saying to make it harder for a fred hampton to to get out there and and you know as i even though i just said that like I, I, listen, hearing what you just said is also making me think that a lot of the uh, technologies that are very pacifying in a way that stymie like the the like rise of leadership in like a traditional sense are also tools by which people young people particularly are engaging in like really powerful forms of mass political education like I'm not on TikTok I'm not fucking 29 years old but I like the Zoomers are like, from what I can tell, hella talking about socialism and shit on the fucking TikTok. There's definitely a lot of them. I don't know how dominant it is, but there definitely is like a strong political, like just ecosystem on TikTok for sure. Like on the left and the right. Hold on. What's up? Okay. So trying to, okay. I'd seen the study before and I looked it up again just so I could accurately quote its findings. Um, According to a study from last year, nearly one third of Gen Z um, support Marxism or socialism, Mm -hmm. um, which is up from 6% in 2019. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know what this means. I don't know, like, you know. What- it means that something really bad happened that shocked a lot of people into changing the way that they thought. Yeah, I think there were a goddamn pandemic, pandemic. economic collapse, and a racial justice. Almost pandemic. civil war, uprising and shit. Yeah, yeah, like- yeah. I don't know. So, okay, okay, so I guess what I was trying to say is that we also have to think about the way that social movements are shifting, given like the diversified and fragmented media landscape um, and technology landscape that we're now living in. And so one of the things that's like seems like a drawback, but maybe is a benefit to like everyone's on a different social media platform. Everyone's watching different YouTubers or reading different or listening to different podcasts. And they're not there's not like, oh, you turn on the TV and there's like the one news network that everyone watches and sees MLK on. And so everyone thinks MLK is the dude. There's not that sort of like unifying cultural zeitgeist anymore. And so it makes it like so that the movement is harder to kill because like, mm-hmm. well, who's the Fred Hampton shooting their bed now? Who is it? You can't. Oh, you can't figure. You, there's too many that are operating on smaller scales, and so we don't know which one's worth murdering. Or I don't know. Like seven Ferguson activists turned up dead since True. 2014. I may, <laughs> maybe I spoke too soon. Um, so. So I don't know. We kind of get off on a tangent talking about like why don't we make Fred Hamptons anymore? And I well, guess I mean, the answer is we do, but it's different. <laughs> we do, but it's different. We do, but it's different now. Well, um, so while he was making moves, uh, this we're going back to Fred Hampton now. Sorry, y'all. We're going to be transitioning in our thoughts and and the subject matter. But okay, so while. He was making moves in the NAACP. The Black Panthers began to rise to national prominence. And their approach to the struggle is one that Hampton found really appealing. Uh, The reason for that attraction, well, coincides with his readings and the forming of his new political identity. The Panthers, through Huey Newton and Bobby Seals, utilized the 10-point program that combined black self-determination with class and economic critiques from Maoism. It laid out the physical needs and all philosophical principles that Fred wanted to lead in. So what is the 10-point program? Let's break down the points point by point. Okay, so what so, do we want? What do we want now? I feel like we need to do this in like the... It feels like it needs to be some boot camp militaristic type way we say it. What do we want? We want freedom! We want power to determine the destiny of our black community! I know, like it needs to be like call and response or something. Yeah. But we, they, they did want freedom. They wanted power to determine the destiny of <laughs> They wanted full employment for our people, which y'all know I've been harping on fucking guaranteed income and shit. They was on that shit. They wanted an end to the robbery by capitalists of the black and oppressed communities. They wanted decent housing fit for shelter of human beings. They wanted education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want an education that teaches us our true history and our role in present day society. We want all black men to be exempt from military service. Mm. Mm. We want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. We want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. We want all black people when brought to trial to be tried by a jury of their peer group or people from the black communities, as identified by the Constitution of the United States. And in closing, we want bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. I felt that was an important thing 
for us to say because, you know, I'm, like, interested in this shit. And I don't think I had ever, like, just straight up read the 10 points of the Black Panther Party until doing this. You know what I'm saying? I I mean, a lot of this still resonates with, like, policies that are much needed today and that have, like, echoed forward in time through the demands made by various social movements, groups, and leaders. The one thing I kind of want to dig into is... the. The idea of, of black self-determination, the very first point, we want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. And when I think about self of community self-determination in the context of like in a community like mine that I represent, which is like predominantly and historically black and working class, how black capitalism like is seen as like getting that self-determination. Like, like if we just have enough wealth where we can like buy a home and then flip it if we want to or just like be an entrepreneur and make money but then only pay our like workers 7.25 an hour like then we'll be good exactly like it's interesting to me that like um perhaps you know and you know this is decontextualized since we're just like reading off the list rather than like hearing it within the general like discourse of the time but like how that particular point could be what I would imagine like you could say is misconstrued by like modern day like black neoliberals mm-hmm. like oh yeah we want to determine the destiny of our black community I feel that like hell, yeah and like and gain a sense that like oh we are the spiritual successors of someone like Fred Hampton when it's like if you think that like every every black person being a business owner like is the it's, that's going to be the fix when it's like, well, what are they paying the people that work for them? Like, what are the working conditions of the people that work for them? Like, what are their business practices? Are they exploiting the earth? Are they exploiting, like, other people? Like, da 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 are all still very fundamental in, like, an ultimately just society. I don't know to what degree at all, but, I mean, hip-hop definitely has played its role in, like, this sort of messaging to people. That attitude that, you know, like you're saying that like black capitalism is the cure for all. You know what I'm saying? Is is as somebody who's grown up for fucking 30 years listening to hip hop and shit, it's like that. That's like that's get rich or die trying. That association of freedom being with like economic gain or economic freedom and solely that. And it's not like a judgment of that because I think. It's understandable. Why wouldn't somebody want to look out for them and theirs? It's just the messaging. If that message gets droned and it gets droned and it becomes... There's a reason why when you hear rappers who speak in broader terms of like community and the people and shit like that, it's eyebrow raising. It's like, oh man, that, that, that motherfucker's cool. You know? Because that's not the norm. <laughs> and not to downplay at all what any rapper does like community wise off the mic but I've been stressing since we started this show and I keep stressing the power of hip hop I believe is like a real thing you know and it's like if you keep droning on a message you know it's just it's just not shocking to me that after 30 years of messaging People are a lot more prone to be like, yo, man, what can I do? Get but get money, you know? And obviously, there's other factors. I, I would just imagine that the most dominant 
aspect of pop culture telling you the same shit over and over again possibly have an effect. And I guess I want to like push back on that slightly with a reference to Vince Staples in North North where he says, hit the corner, make a dollar, flip it, split the dollars with my mama children. And so it being indicative of like, there's this ethos of community care where it's like, you, whatever you get, you split with your mama children. Like you split with your boys, you make sure your mama got her lights on at her house. Like you make sure your people are good, but it's how you get those gains that everybody's so confused about. That I would agree hip hop, um, help, like this misconception hip hop uh, helps proliferate, but it's also just pervasive in American media writ large, in Hollywood, in the yeah. news. And, and so it's not, I, I don't think it's like, specifically endemic to hip-hop that like this is no oh i don't I'm, I'm, i wouldn't put the blame solely at the feet of hip-hop i'm just i'm just speaking from what my <laughs> from from what i feel that the, you know from my exposure to hip-hop I, i'm yeah, just saying I guess what i feel that. that line and like the line came to me because like it also indicates the inverse where it's like yes there's this like get rich die trying step on whoever you got to get and make your money like you know, I'm gonna get mine. You get yours. You know what I mean? That that but sort also of show. because because we got to look out for our people, for our people. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think if we could like somehow uplift that ethos, like, I think you could undo this whole shit. Just like, yo, you know how like we all really care about our people and making sure they're good. What if instead of buying crack for five dollars and selling it for twenty? You know, like I don't know. I can't come up with a good metaphor. Where we grow, yeah. the, we grow the cocaine ourselves, <laughs> and all the riches gained from selling that. No, I don't know. I was going. Um, but you feel what I'm saying, like you know, it's just like no, how mean, you how you get how you get the gains to then split amongst your people. Yeah. It's like part we gotta like rehash out as like a subculture. But the ethos of taking care of our people is already there. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of break down a little bit more about what each of these 10 points means or like what they were seeking truly with each of these. So Okay, so we want full employment for our people. That's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, they said they believe that the federal government is responsible and obligated to give every man employment or a guaranteed income. Where have I heard these things before? Um, we believe that the white, if the white American businessman will not give full employment, the means of production should be taken from the businessman and placed in the community so that the people of the community can organize and employ all of its people and give a high standard of living. So these ideas of federal job guarantee, guaranteed employment from the federal government, coupled with universal basic income, are still ideas that are widely talked about uh, in the main, I mean, it's becoming increasingly mainstreamed today. Um, and this is what they were talking about even back then. Um, and then you got the good old season that means the production costume. So third, we believe that the, this racist government has robbed us. And now are, we are demanding our overdue debt. 40 acres, and two mules. 40 acres, two mules was promised 100 years ago as redistribution for slave labor and mass murder of black people. We'll accept the payment in currency, which will be distributed to our many communities. The Germans are now aiding the Jews in Israel for genocide of the Jewish people. The Germans murdered 6 million Jews. The American racist has taken part in the slaughter of over 50 million black people. Therefore, we feel this is a modest demand that we make. 
Can I turn some wild that doesn't have anything to do with this? I mean, it kind of does, but doesn't. It's really more on the topic of the podcast generally. We are called waiting on reparations, and this is talking about reparations. Mm -hmm. So, in this meeting tonight, (laughs) yo, so another black commissioner, there's three of us on the commission, and it's one of the other two black commissioners tonight said, because we were voting on a package for reparations for people who had their land taken under urban renewal. And he said that he doesn't want reparations because even if he got them, he could still end up dead under the knee of a cop like George Floyd. And this is also, I, th- I feel like, Wait, worth, what? worth throwing it in the mix here. This is also a man that like vehemently supports the police. So, um, wait, what? I just, I just, like, can we just unpack this for a second? (laughs) Hold on, wait, let me just see if I can. Okay, so he said, I don't, we, I don't want reparations because even if I did get them, I could still end up dead under the knee of a. So, like, does he not want to get paid at work? Like, I just, I don't, I don't understand the correlation of those two things. I don't either. I think it's something to unpack because. You know, we are, this is a show that is titled about reparations. And it's like, actually, that's an interesting, kind of interesting point, like weird and dumb, but like, like underneath kind of profound that reparations on their own would, wouldn't make it so that cops would stop killing black people. No, not at all. But but it's, yeah. it seems like it's, like it's dumb, just kind of right. It's, it's right in the sense that like, yeah, that's factually right. Like, yeah. If I, if I got reparations, a cop still could put his knee on his neck. Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't but what I don't get, what I don't. In the meeting. But what I don't get is, I don't get. I don't want reparations because a cop could still put his. Do you know? Do you feel what I'm saying? Like that sure, just doesn't sure. make sense. Like I don't understand why you. The, like, yeah, I, I've the, heard the, black the people make structure of like the because of this, then this, like the way he said it doesn't make sense, but. Um, I, he, I guess like in short, he's like kind of right, but let's just deconstruct it in another level. This is what I would have said to him at the meeting if I had given a shit, but mostly I thought he was dumb and didn't want to talk about it. Um, like let's think about George Floyd. Seems like he had a kind of a hard life. And we've talked previously on the show about like generations back had had land stolen from his family, um, which had set him up for precarity in his adulthood you know, struggles with, you know, violence, behavioral issues, drug abuse. Like, had his family been paid reparations for the land that had been taken for them? Maybe he would have had a stabler life that would have not led him to allegedly use a counterfeit $20 bill at that gas station so he wouldn't have had the run-in with the cops. That would lead to the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, actually, reparations would, would, help have pr- ensure, <laughs> would help ensure that less people get killed by the cops because it would put them in fewer precarious situations to necessitate police response, creating the circumstance in which they are killed. I mean, I, I'm, I'm personally somebody. I feel that somebody can make an argument against reparations that I can disagree with, but still be like, "Oh, no, I see the point that you're trying to make." You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I, I hear you. Like, like it's, it's, it's. It's a complicated issue. I just don't think that this is it, though. (laughs) 
Yeah, I just thought I was just because I was blowing my mind. No, it's blown my mind. I'm really sitting here trying to wonder, like, what point he was trying to make. Like, guys, like, it's not the, the point. Like, again, the point that he's making is accurate, but it just doesn't make sense. But guys, why? I don't but want reparations because like, a cop can still you, kill me. What do you gain? What do you gain in making this argument right now? You, you honestly, if you you could replace a cop could still kill me with anything. And just ask yourself if even that makes sense. Guys, I don't want reparations because I can still die from high blood pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what? Like, like which we is know, a, nigga. Which is like, a, you know, like a, uh, it's also a matter of, of systemic racism in our mm-hmm. medicine and environmental racism contributing to, like, solo remedies. So that's not even, a, that's not even a crazier analogy. <laughs> it's actually, like, literally very thin. Yeah, it's like along the um, same lines. <laughs> Yeah, wow. So thank you for entertaining this uh, this tangent. No, it's, it's all good. It's been on my mind. There- all right, so back to the 10 points. So we believe that if white landlords will not give decent housing to our black community, then the housing and the land should be made into cooperatives so that our community, with government aid, can build and make a decent housing for its people. Feel that? We believe in an educational system that will give our people a knowledge of self. If a man does not have knowledge of himself and his position in society and the world, then he has little chance to relate to anything else. I, I feel that too. I mean, I, I see, that, there's no lies I mean, so far. There's no lies. And that, I mean, that that's like a little bit of a little hip hop crossover there with, um, I think it was KRS One that said the fifth pillar of hip hop is knowledge. knowledge of self. Knowledge, yeah. Oh no, it's Africa Bombada. We believe black people should not be forced to fight in the military service to defend a racist government that does not protect us. We will fight and kill other people of color in the world who like black people. Uh, we will not fight or kill other uh, people of color in the world who, like black people, are being victimized by white racist government of America. We will protect ourselves from the force of violence and the racist police and the racist military by whatever means necessary. I mean, I, I can only imagine how radicalizing it must have been during the Vietnam War to be called by a government that hates you to go kill people that are also brown, who you have a lot more in common with than like the politicians signing off on like the War Authorization Act or whatever. Well, one of the things that you can't overlook is that one of the things that started, you know, some of the these revolutionary movements on the state side is when you had black soldiers go and fight fascism in World War II, and then they're fighting, they're seeing like that uh, integrated society is possible when they're like seeing like how the Europeans are doing it. Then they come back home and they can't even drink out of the same water fountains as motherfuckers. And they're like, the fuck is this? <laughs> exactly. What do I so. go kill a bunch of Nazis for? Goddamn. Um, what else? So we believe we can end police brutality in our black community by organizing black self-defense groups that are des- dedicated to defending our black community from racist police oppression and brutality. The Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States gives us the right to bear arms. We therefore believe that all black people should arm themselves for self-defense. I'm sure Ben Shapiro agrees with that 100%. I'm sure Ben Shapiro fucking loves that, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ben Shapiro, Steven Crowder definitely agrees with that, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, NRA yeah. is all up on him. Yeah, so. All up on it. Be looking forward to those. that like, like, to use tenets of the U.S. Constitution to like, to bolster revolutionary claims like that in themselves or like in their broader ideology 
challenge the legitimacy of that constitution. Does that make sense? So like the idea mm-hmm. that like white men don't have any right to be saying like, you know, white yo, white man won't give us housing. White man, you know, be killing us. White man like taking our labor to build this country and the you know, upon, upon which upon you know, whose founding is built upon this constitution. Mm-hmm. But because the constitution says we can bear arms, we're gonna like stick that in there. Cause that you guys, you know, because at least you all give a shit about the constitution. So like maybe you'll listen to us when we like use your own words back at you. I don't know. I've, I don't like, I don't know if it's like, it kind of strikes me as sort of um, contradictory. This like, is, I, get it, I get it. Like use their own arguments for why you should do the thing. This is cool. Reading this is cause um, have you, you know, I, uh, like I said earlier, I haven't seen the Judas and the black Messiah movie, but I have seen the Black Panthers, the Black Panther movie that was made in, oh, I want to say, 1995. Like huh? No, no, the, oh, the, the, all the black were... movies are the same. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, in, in 95 <laughs> or 96, Mario Van Peebles, who directed New Jack City, he directed a Black Panthers movie. Oh, that was more. It was more like about like you know the rise and fall of the Black Panthers. I, I I don't remember whether that movie was good. I think it was. I think it was just that. I I know it was one of those movies where like damn near every black actor except Denzel Washington was in it. You know what I'm saying? It was one yeah. of those like huge ensemble movies. Yeah. But it's just I remember some of the dialogue that you know uh, the, the actor who played Huey uh, P. Newton would say, and it's just like it's like ripped right out of these these uh, pillars that we're reading right now, like straight up. We believe that all black people should be released from jails and prisons because they have not received a fair and impartial trial. And in, yeah, I mean, 1966, I understand why he's saying that. I yeah. understand why he's saying that shit now, fuck. <laughs> but, yeah. but then that, that transfers into this uh, ninth one, which is we believe that the courts should follow the United States Constitution so that black people will all receive fair trials. The 14th Amendment of the Constitution gives a man the right to be tried by his peers. A peer is a person from a similar economic, social, religious, geographical, geographical, environmental, historical, and racial background. To do this, the court will be forced to select a jury from the black community from which the black defendant came. We have been and are being tried by all white juries that have no understanding of the average reason, reasoning man of the black community. Again, no lies. No lies. No lies. No lies told. And you Though I think, I think citing what a peer means and like inciting like economic, social, religious, geographical, environmental, historical and racial background, but to sort of flatten all of that into like, oh, we should be, you know, uh, tried by a jury from the black community and was like, well, there's black people in various geographies, various religions, various economic situations. I don't know. To, to problematize that somewhat, yes, there's definitely a documented issue with all white juries to this day. Like, they're diagnosing ills that continue to plague us. Um, but... It's kind of uh, depressing to hear that, like, this issue just never never got better <laughs> never got better when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's god entitle them 
A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which entail them to separation. You know, especially now because there seems to be a little bit of a movement on at least the online left select people who are suggesting that there's some solidarity to be found between leftists working with like the far right and pretty much fascists as if there's like hey you know what i mean we have like a mutual there's 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 mutual goals that can be found there and stuff like that people have been name dropping fred hampton in that shit oh no they did not Pretty much to like not to beat around the bush. There's certain people in the uh, uh, American online left who are suggesting, hey, you know, like progressives should work with the Boogaloo Boys or like the Proud Boys and find solidarity because we both hate corporations, right? And it's like it's it's not really that simple. But then they're like, well, I mean, Huey P. Newt, P. Newt, or I keep saying Huey Newton, sorry. But then but then they'll bring up, hey, but Fred Hampton. Uh, was like a class reductionist and he knew it was all about class and that he found solidarity by working with racists and stuff too and it's like no no he didn't like what are, what are you, the fuck like, are you what are you talking about like not, not that's not there there is no context in which that was like a thing you know what i'm saying and we're gonna get into that too because we actually are gonna like cover what that actual outreach was but there's a there's a speech that he made once where he was um pretty much talking about like how the, the whole plan of the establishment is to get poor white people and poor black people and poor brown people and to get us all in fighting amongst each other so that we don't unite and coalesce to go against like the bigger issue. That's a completely different thing from saying that Fred Hampton was advocating, hey, we should reach out to the Klan because, you know, like that's not what was going on at all. But I think that that last tenant is kind of like what he was getting at is kind of that solidarity in uh just poor people Word. as opposed to on a ra- on racial lines so in 1968 uh hampton would join the black panthers party he, he would join their uh nascent illinois chapter the following year and he would embark on what would be one of the greatest runs of activist an activist has had Emphasizing that racial conflict only leads to poverty, he successfully brokered a non-aggression pact among Chicago's most powerful street gangs. He taught political education classes every morning at six in the morning a project, uh, and started a project community supervision of the police program where they would monitor police and like follow the cops while they were on duty to make sure that they weren't harassing people and beating people up and shit. He also went uh, he was also key in the Black Panthers free breakfast program, inspired by contemporary research about central roles of breakfast and optimal schooling. And the Panthers would cook and serve food for poor people and inner city youth in the area. They did this like all across the nation. Perhaps one of the biggest achievements uh, for Hampton and the Panthers at the time was forging a class conscious multiracial alliance between the Panthers, the Young Patriots, which was a leftist organization made made up mostly of white Southerners, and the Young Lords, a street gang turned civil rights, um, civil human rights organization that fought on behalf of Latinos, Puerto Ricans, and colonized people. This union will lead to the formation of the Rainbow Coalition. Not to be confused with Jesse Jackson's coalition of the same name, 1988. But, okay. Um, it only grew, in, it, it grew more and more as various radical socialist community groups joined their ranks. 
This is roughly the end of 1968, early 1969. They led joint action against poverty, corruption, police brutality, and substandard housing. And the various groups supported each other at protests, strikes, and demonstrations where they had common cause. So this is not to be confused with the Rainbow Coalition. Alice was co-opted over the years by Reverend Jesse Jackson, not as a point of insult, but just as a fact. He, you know, eventually appropriated the name and forming its own more moderate coalition. So what you think about that? It was fucking dope. It's what you love to see, bruh. Out here feeding <laughs> the children, out here getting the white people and the Latinos and the motherfucking just like everybody together. So see, that's like, what- that, that's what people are saying. People are like, yeah, people are like, oh, he he worked with that leftist white Southern group that might have, I think they might have adorned the rebel flag, maybe, but it's like, that's that's not the Boogaloo Boys, man. And if you will humor me for just a second, this reminds me of this clip from Vince Staples. I've been talking about him a lot this episode. At Coachella, talking about his coalition he wants to build for somebody he knows running for mayor. You know, we were never that serious oh my God, on this Twitter. Nigga so funny. This is a funny nigga. But I'll be dead serious. But you know, nah, I'm going to do something for like the kids. I might, I'm trying to get the world to go zero emissions. I'm going to get all the emissions out of North Long Beach. And I'm going to get all of the fossil fuels out of North Hold Long Beach. Hold on. How are you getting all the emissions out of Long Beach? I would love to help with this mission. So this is what we're going to do. Boom, we got a lot of ore refineries, right? Okay. The Mexicans be tripping. The Mexicans and the Asians got a race war that's been going on since the 1920s. I'm going to stop the race war, right? And be like, we really got to beef with the oil companies. Boom, we're going to start grenading and suicide bombing the oil refineries. Boom, boom. And we got a big gay population in Long Beach, right? But we only got one Whole Foods. One thing I learned from my gay partners mm-hmm. is that Whole Foods and like like barista coffee breweries and things like that, they like that kind of shit. They like, they like that kind of shit. So I'm going to call my boy Lloyd. Shout out Lloyd. Lloyd going to help me get the gay community all the way right. We got a gay Latino mayor, right? Boom, we get killed two birds once. I'm going to be an assistant mayor. We got the gay Latino mayor and then the black um, um, assistant mayor. And we're going to get everybody together. We're going to throw the Asians in there somehow. And we're going to get the oil primaries out of there. We're going to build the Tesla factory on the east side. What? Does Elon Musk know about this? You see them rapping? Well, we got to get out of here. Okay. Just listen to him talk about, like, yo, we're going to get the Latinos. We're going to get the Asians. We're going to throw the gays in there. We're going to get the oil refineries that allow I mean, it's these. the right attitude. This is, yo, this is like modern-day Fred Hampton shit. <laughs> I know he's kidding, but, like, I don't know if he's kidding. I mean, hey, I hope I hope that he's not kidding. I don't know about that Elon Musk Tesla shit, though. That's just, that's just me. <laughs> so, again, back to Fred Hampton. <laughs> with, his, uh, with his leadership skills, and if we can keep it real, the FBI at this point had decimated the Black Panther Party's ranks with assassinations and imprisonments and sabotage. Uh, Fred was well on his way to becoming appointed the party's central committee chief of staff had he not been murdered in a hail of Chicago PD bullets. And what, you know, a scene that was chillingly similar to the Breonna Taylor murder. But, you know, at this point, if we were going to go on and do like a whole the whole, you know, life story of Fred Hampton, I, you know, this would be around the part where we would start talking about Pro and J. Edgar Hoover and stuff like that. But again, I feel that this is information that's amply out there and there's a new movie out about it. So, you know, you check out the and movie. We did, an, we did an episode. Why Pro. The second episode was about yeah. Pro. So if you want to put this, situate this in the context of like the surveillance and sabotage that the FBI was doing to black liberation and black radical groups at large across the country during this time. You can get plugged in there and learn a little bit bit more about it that way. So overall thoughts on Freddie. 
Um, I mean, as I said a little bit earlier, like as a politician, like I regularly get calls from people about things that have to do with like private property issues or like follow activists in the community who are just like organizing outside the state, particularly under COVID. Uh, the idea of mutual aid has gained t- traction with people that might have previously organized around like policy advocacy, legislation, elections. Um, but now it's just like, yo, we just got to feed our people and make sure our people are warm, make sure our people have somewhere to live um, because the state won't provide for us. And like, I feel that. And it's like an interesting thing for me to think about, like balancing my role as like, I do have electoral power where like I can allocate budgets and fucking pass laws and shit. But like, but like I value organizing outside the state and like self-determination of communities, like people coming together to like feed their kids and to like, you know, make sure the homeless are warm and just doing it autonomously without getting permission from the government. Like, yo, here's $10,000 to do it. Like, yo, we just did it ourselves. We ain't wait around for y'all to like take a year to pass the policy. <laughs> we just went and did it. And so um, just seeing, seeing the like mainstreaming for, for for what to me seems like the mainstreaming of the idea of mutual aid under COVID, but like remembering its roots in projects like, you know, the free breakfast program of the Black Panthers all the way back then mm-hmm. and like reclaiming what is revolutionary about just taking care of our communities. I think it's like something that really resonates with me in revisiting some of Fred Hampton's work. Um because we talk about public policy on the show a lot. We talk about laws. We talk about the judicial system. We talk about legislation. But, like, politics is bigger than that. Politics is also just the way we organize power. And, like, being fed is power. And having a place to sleep at night is power. And, like, knowing your neighbors and being able to provide for them, that is power as well. And that's politics as well. And so to sort of, like, step back from our usual framing of, like, public policy as, like, laws and, and like politics is just something people enact in the everyday. I think it's something that we can take away from the work of Black Panthers and Brett Hampton. Um, and like not waiting around for people to give us what we want, just taking it or making it for ourselves in our own communities. Stated perfectly. So we are going to get into a little mini review of the soundtrack to Judas and the Black Messiah after the jump. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. 
Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. All right, so for the music discussion, we are going to be talking about the soundtrack to the new motion picture, Judas and the Black Messiah. <sighs> what can we say about this? It, I feel like, you know, I've listened to this three times in the last two days, and I feel that this project has to kind of be judged with two different ears from me. On one hand, you can judge it as just a compilation rap album, right? And then on the other hand, you can judge it as a conceptual album about this movie. And the reason that I feel that it's fair to judge them for both is because it's actually labeled on the cover that all of the songs on the soundtrack are inspired by the motion picture. I'm just taking them at their word, taking them literal, you know what I'm saying? So from the context of a rap compilation, this project works really well. Like, it's a really dope rap album and there's a lot of really good songs on there but i feel from the concept of inspired by the motion picture a lot of misses yo like just like real talk it, it's it it doesn't have that consistency that immerses me in the subject matter of what they're talking about in the movie it, it starts off strong the opening track you have like really cool soul style beats, soul sample, old schooly beats that, that definitely fit the vibe and the tone of, of the movie. So like the first two tracks, they're giving you those, those like soul, that soul style. And it's definitely, it sounds like the images that you see when you see the movie. It's, it, you know what I mean? Like when you watch the trailer, when you see the film, it, it sounds like, hey, this is like inspired by some 60s, 70s era stuff. But quickly that kind of falls the wayside. So the opening track, you've got uh, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr., Fred Hampton's son, and he's kind of giving like a rundown of what Fred Hampton was about, what the Black Panthers were about, how what we can do moving forward, and it's got a really cool, you know, soul behind it, the soul beat, and it's awesome. The next track that it transitions to is a track by the artist Her, and this is called A Fight For You. And that one's dope, too. It fits along the, the same lines. And then the third song is instantly what takes me out of that mindset. Not that it's a bad song. The third song's called EPMD by Nas. It's a really fucking dope song. But that's it. It's a dope Nas song. 
You know what I'm saying? He's like name dropping like Amazon and Nike and shit. You know what I'm saying? It's just it, it just takes you out of the the period aspect that you were in, and the the album kind of follows that trend as you go on. You know what I mean? Like rappers are talking about, hey man, I'm getting a Grammy, I'm making stacks. Yo man, we 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 we, we I'm a rich nigga. Like there's a song by ASAP Rocky called "Rich Nigga Problems." That's just about him. You know what I mean? It's it's like just the ASAP Rocky song. You know, there's a little Dirk song on there where he's, you know, talking about, I, like, literally the first thing he says is, I wrote this after the Grammys. And it's like, ah, it's just, it doesn't make me feel like Judas and the Black Messiah. I have a hard time really believing that all of these songs were inspired by the, by the movie. Now, some of them are, and those are definitely the standout tracks that we're going to take a little bit uh, snippets from. Some of them definitely you can hear that it's like, hey, man, this is... Whichever artist, they watched the film and then they went in the studio or whatever. But then there's a lot of songs on here that, that definitely sound like, hey, we, we have this extra G Herbo track that's hot. The, an excuse to use it, let's put it on the soundtrack. And it's just a regular G Herbo trap drill song. You know what I'm saying? And also the son- sonically, I feel that the inconsistency in the beat choices how at some element at some points it's really like period-esque and it's really soul sample old school jazz samples and then it'll go straight up into something that sounds you know like it was made yesterday you know uh, that that was kind of taking me out of it i feel yeah, like I say that, like i mean ultimately with the soundtrack like i think back to like the black panther soundtrack as like a movie soundtrack i like to run uh that like thematically had very little to do with like uh, the plot or characters or you know anything with the movie but aesthetically captured the same vibe I felt like where it was like yo like Afrofuturist mm-hmm. kind of shit and so I feel you though I was, I was about to ask like even if it is ASAP Rocky rapping about how we just left the Grammys like does it feel no like, what, no because <laughs> what, what, what I'm saying is like if you took the Aesop Rocky song, Rich Nigga Problems, yeah. off of this and put it on his album, it would be fine. You know what I'm saying? And I think, I, I don't, I'm not even saying like that's an issue, like, yo, that's why the song is bad or, oh, that makes the album bad. But it's just like, it just doesn't feel like inspired by the movie, which is a very, you know, specific critique. But the thing does say inspired by the motion picture. On, on the front of it, you know what I'm saying, and it's 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 because of because the movie's more serious. It's not like there's the famous soundtrack for like Tim Burton's Batman, which is pretty much just like a Prince album. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with Batman at all, but it's just like it's Batman. So it's not like a weighty sort of thing like that where you're necessarily going in there like, hey, is Prince about to make ten songs where he's singing about Batman? Whereas with this, yeah, I kind of do expect to listen to songs that are about the movie that I saw and. There's 22 songs on it. That's already way too long. It's like a fucking, it's an hour and some change long. I feel like you just, if you go and isolate the 10 or nine songs on here that are actually inspired by the movie, I think you have a much stronger project. Let's get into some of these tracks. Um, if you could get on the YouTube machine. So the first one that I wanted to bring up, and this is also going to be a change of pace for me because I think the songs that best illustrate and keep consistent the vibe that I'm talking about are not rap songs. 
They're like the, the, the it's like the R&B jams. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They really get that yeah. vibe. So the first one is Fight For You by Her. Mostly because as we listen to it, I frantically try to figure out what the sample was, and I don't think it is one. I mean, it, it sounds almost like it's an interpolation of Curtis Mayfield's Superfly. Yeah. But I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just like, you know, it's, I don't think it's like a direct sample, but again, just using that 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 uh, melody that, ha- you know, it, at the very least, it kind of starts off that way. And I think using that melody, that melody instantly puts you in the period that the movie is. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it doesn't sound like it's trying to be a retro beat or anything like that, but just musically and sonically, like, again, I haven't seen the movie, but I feel like I could take that, I could take the trailer, mute the sound, and just play the trailer for Judas and the Black Messiah with that song, and it works perfectly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, even even like in the pre-chorus, you're talking about freedom from my brothers, mm-hmm. freedom because they judge us, freedom from the others, freedom from the leaders, they're keeping us... Freedom gonna keep us strong, like you know, talking about these themes of liberation, and then a little bit later on, um, where is it? Um, ow, just punched myself in the eye. Uh, um, when they knock on your door, will you be ready for war? Kind of like echoing the knock at the door that they got from the FBI that fateful night, you know, and like, mm-hmm. are you ready? Are you strapped up to defend yourself? So, like, thematically, it's even got some echoes from, like, aspects of the film. So, I think of the tracks on the album, this might do it, the film, the most, like... Justice? Justice, yeah. Because hip-hop, especially, you know, when you get into, like, heavy rap stuff, it's so direct. And it's such a, you know, it's such a direct way of expressing an idea. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, especially when movies are, like good (laughs) subtlety is is usually the order of the day you know what i'm saying so Mm -hmm. it's like i I feel that you know just using any old rap song for your movie can sometimes kill some of that subtlety especially if the rap like it can do that even if the rapper is rapping about the subject matter at hand so when the rapper is not rapping about the subject matter at hand it really can like you know kind of break that fourth wall of like getting yourself lost in the shit and that's what I like about this song is like obviously she's rap she's singing about you know freedom for each other freedom justice that sort of thing but it's just obscure and vague enough you know what I'm saying that it doesn't like it, it's not like hammering it it's not like she's singing yes and Fred Hampton was a real good man and I loved yeah. him and he had this guy who was spying on like you know what I mean it's like it's not yeah. just like a retelling of the plot of the movie or something yeah. like that you know what I mean it's, it's a fine that, line to walk some people don't even try it to walk it doesn't it, get but. into the it doesn't get into like the corniness you know what I mean it doesn't yeah. feel like an after school special thing yeah. and that kind of brings us to what I thought was a the next standout track which is Plead the 45th by Smino and Saba Oh hell yeah, is- I love, you know, and Saba. Do you see what I mean though by the like the way that he's the way that he's rapping? Just the 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 style in which he's like approaching the content. Like it's not it's just it just feels like I don't know, it just has like again. I, it's it, maybe I'm not it's like, articulating. I think it's like aesthetically complimentary. It's like the same way that you see like red and yellow together like oh those go together those are different colors but like i can see what you're trying to do there 
Like, like it, I have no idea that if this song was made for the movie. You know, like all that stuff yeah. that I was saying about how I feel some of them were and some of them weren't. I can't say definitively that this one was, but it could be because it's got that that right amount of subtlety to its approach that you could mm-hmm. apply it to whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and the third and last one that we are going to check out, it, it was a rough one. You know, I, I do want to give a notable mention to Welcome to America by Black Thought, C.S. Armstrong, and Angel Hunt. And what else was there? There was I Declare War by Nardo Wick. That was that was cool. It was a bit trappy, and, and from the sound, it kind of took me out of it. But, but I, subject matter, though, it was cool. And then also Revolutionary by G. Herbo and Bumpy J. Those are good tracks, too. I feel like... Those three that I just said in the first three that we've listened to, or the first two that we've listened to, I feel you put those together, you've got like nine songs that are really like reflective of this movie. But the last one that we're going to get into, Something Ain't Right, J.I.D. and Rhapsody. I think this is like a this is a great example of towing the line of like impressionistically capturing some of mm-hmm. the themes of the film. They talk about you know improving That's the, the word I was looking for. Some food to my fellowship. Um, call the goons in the government. Come correct the corruption. Break the racial construction that you're building up in the spirit of liberation. Like. Without being too heavy-handed, like yeah. in 1948, Fred Hampton was born, which I'm probably going to do in the rap for this episode this week. <laughs> um, it's just like lightly, you know, just like sprinkling in a little bit of historic- historicity of just like, yo, this is like the real shit. This is what it is really about. And again, just to, c- to keep the nerd vibes going, I'm stressing that it's just like in the context of the movie, this works better for a movie, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. I just like like these songs just um to 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 last, make a last point to illustrate what I mean is um I remember when I went and saw Django the first time, um a movie that not necessarily my favorite Tarantino movie, but anyway I remember when I went and saw Django the first time, and I normally love how Quentin Tarantino uses music and utilizes, especially like contemporary music within his movies and stuff like that, and it's like. It's very, you know, he makes very good choices with his music. But I remember how everybody thought the scene where the Rick Ross song played in Django. And everyone was kind of like, oh, man, that's really cool. And for me, it probably was like the point where I stopped enjoying the movie is when that song came in. Because it's like, it's a Rick Ross song. You know what I mean? It's just like a regular ass, like, Rick Ross song. And that's that's like nothing against Rick Ross, but it's like... Like, if I was watching it and then Beat It started playing. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I would not be able to watch the movie without thinking, ah, oh, this is fucking like weird. Since Beat It <laughs> in, the middle of the, in the middle of the movie for, like, I don't know. Like, how does that work? But, again, I feel like you can get into that, that line with hip-hop a lot. So I just appreciate, you know, the, the fact that this album has so many songs on it, I feel that I heard enough songs that were like that, that that itch has been scratched and satisfied. You know what I'm saying? But if this had just been a ten-song album, some of these al- some of these songs could have these songs out on those. That yeah, for real. Like some of them are kind of unnecessary. For real, it, it makes the it makes this project sound like a really really good DJ Clue mixtape, and less like a serious conceptual 
soundtrack inspired by a serious movie. Well, that makes sense. Speaking of things that have gone on for far too long, <laughs> this episode is going to be a monster. It's two o'clock in the morning, and I am going to go kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, give, I'm give, just, I'm just I'm muster playing. up, muster up, just a reserve bit of strength because I want to hear some bars for you. We didn't get any last week. Joel, I, before before she passes out, Joel, drop a beat. With the soul infinitely older than his 21 years, Chairman Hampton wasn't running from fear, not with a gun in his ear. Defend the neighbors from the government's gears when they're grinding up on your block and start to flooding your peers with care for his community and having dutifully studied the leaders, revolutionizing motherless fears. He led a movement so huge that they had to go shoot him, but not before we spoke the truth in numberless ears. They say that it's survival of the fittest, so they pit us against kids that are different and pigment of the skin, but Hampton figured by assembling the Mexicans I left the sand the niggas we could all get together to endeavor for bigger vision we could free all of us siblings from the prison get some housing fit to live in get some bricks split for dinner get to educate our children get the pets to pay for stealing all the labor from the millions who enslaved him for us but they killed him before we got the chance to build it now it's up to us to fulfill it hey my name's Dope Knife I'm Lingua Franca. And we are waiting on reparations. See you next week. Peace. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.